Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Welcome to CRISPR Cuts. Our guest today is Dana Foss. She's a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Berkeley and they work on delivery of CRISPR into cells. So we'll talk more about that with Dana. But let's start with your educational background and current role. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be chatting with you today. So yeah, so I'm a postdoc in Ross Wilson's lab at Berkeley, and we're affiliated with the Innovative Genomics Institute, also known as the IGI. My training has been entirely in biochemistry. I specialize in the biochemistry of proteins and RNA and proteins that bind RNA. I did all of my education in Canada, where I'm from, both in Winnipeg, where I did my undergraduate studies, and in Ottawa, where I did my PhD in the laboratory of John Pizzacchi. My PhD was focused on a different RNA binding protein than Cas9. It was actually a small RNA binding protein involved in RNA silencing, which I was engineering as a biotechnology tool for using in RNA interference. I see. So when was your first introduction to CRISPR? Was it during your postdoc or even before that? It was actually during my graduate studies pretty early on, even though it wasn't, it was sort of new on the scene. I was actually at a conference focused on RNA silencing. I think it was in 2012. And I heard about this cool new research coming out of Jennifer Downer's lab. I was already really familiar with Jennifer Downer's work in the RNA silencing field because she was really a leader in that field. Her lab studied the structural biology and biochemistry of the RNA and the protein RNA complexes involved in RNA silencing. And so it was actually at one of these meetings that started hearing about, you know, this other process still related to RNAs and the biology of how protein RNA complexes can mediate sort of influencing gene expression. And it's really interesting because this whole field of RNA interference where small RNAs can influence and essentially turn off gene expression transiently. A lot of people from this field sort of led way into the CRISPR field as well, since it's sort of a a similarly themed biological process. Yeah, exactly. And then because you have used both RNAi and then CRISPR, do you feel that there's a huge difference in the ease of using CRISPR? So has it completely overthrown RNA or is it still equally in use in some cases? There's biological similarities between the two processes and also sort of huge differences as well, depending on your perspective. The big difference, right, is that RNA interference using small double-stranded RNAs to influence gene expression is a transient phenomenon. So you can turn off a gene temporarily at the RNA level, whereas for the most part, CRISPR-based gene editing is making permanent changes to the DNA. And so, so it really depends. If we're talking about research tools, you know, these can be used in similar ways, you know, to understand gene function. But with CRISPR, you know, it has eclipsed RNAi in a lot of ways, just because oftentimes a more permanent change is more effective in understanding the biology. And I think that it's generally thought to be more specific. There's sort of more non-specific alterations with RNA silencing techniques. So one of the 
main goals of your lab is to work on delivery systems for therapeutics, right? And then could you tell us more about how you guys are doing that? Yeah, absolutely. So in the Wilson lab with the IGI, we work on, like you said, what's known as the delivery problem. So as you and your listeners are probably aware, Cas9 is a very large enzyme and it needs a pretty large amount of guide RNA to exert its function on the genome. And so getting this large enzyme and its RNA into cells is actually quite a difficult feat. And so We're interested in engineering new methods to deliver that enzyme and its guide RNA into specific human cells and tissues where we want it to perform gene editing to fix disease-causing mutations. And so most labs and the therapeutic applications of CRISPR, most people are using engineered viruses in order to get Cas9 into cells. So it's packaging, you know, the DNA instructions for Cas9, and that's what is being delivered into cells. And that's, of course, because viruses are, you know, highly evolved and very successful at getting into cells, delivering their sort of their genomes into cells. And then, of course, then it's the cellular machinery that's actually making the Cas9 and the guide RNA. And so viruses are very effective getting into cells. However, we're interested in developing non-viral methods just because there'll be some advantages to using a non-viral approach in some instances. And so what we're doing is we're appending specific molecules to the Cas9 enzyme itself. And we're using sort of those molecules as a key to insert into the lock of a receptor on specific cell types and sort of using that lock and key mechanism to gain entry into specific human cell types. So one follow-up question to that. So in your case, you would have to modify your Cas9 appended proteins based on whichever cell you want to target, right? Isn't that more laborious to target, say, one cell type at a time because every cell will have different receptors? Yeah, well, that's sort of the good part about it, too, because with gene editing, for the most part, you're not going to want to deliver Cas9 into every cell in the human body. You're really going to want... The big challenge, you know, facing Cas9 as a therapeutic is actually getting it as an in vivo therapeutic. You want to get it just into the cells that you want it to go in and not every cell in the body. So viruses have been engineered to have tropism for certain tissues, but we definitely want to see a higher level of specificity. And so, yes, yes, indeed, it's laborious to engineer Cas9, you know, for each different cell type. We're sort of developing a plug-and-play platform that should actually be, once it's up and running, pretty adaptable to different cell types. I see. Okay, that makes sense. It sounds very interesting and looking forward to know more about it soon. There's one more thing that I realized when you were talking about therapeutics that I read a recent review of yours, which was also about clinical applications of CRISPR in therapeutics. Could you talk a little bit about CRISPR's potential in therapeutics? And I know that in some research areas, it has already gone forward, even with clinical trials. Could you talk a little bit about how you see this field expanding and how CRISPR will change therapeutics in the future? Absolutely. Of course, I'm really excited about CRISPR's application in the clinic. Of course, I'm also excited about any version of gene therapy in the clinic. 
It's important to remember that we're, you know, the CRISPR field is building on uh, 20 or 30 years of gene therapy research. And, you know, zinc fingers and talons are also exciting therapeutically with similar potential. But I guess what I'm most excited about in terms of, you know, the first things that CRISPR hopefully can offer in the clinic is for curing blood diseases such as sickle cell anemia and beta thalassemia. These are well-studied diseases that have a rather simple genetic basis in which we can use CRISPR to make the genetic edit necessary. But most importantly, the reason that these blood diseases are being targeted first is because blood cells are very accessible. And so it actually gets away from that sort of delivery issue that I was mentioning earlier, where when you're targeting blood cells, you can actually take the blood cells out of the patient and do the gene editing in a dish, right? And then once the cells are corrected and the mutation is corrected, those cells can be put back in the patient and be curative. And so the ability to cure sickle cell anemia and beta thalassemia, it would just be such a massive, massive impact for humankind. You know, there's so much suffering just with those two diseases. And so I'm super excited. I think that we have something within our lifetime that is very likely. And this ex vivo editing where the cells are being taken out of the patient is really going to be the first application of CRISPR in the clinic. Right. No, you're absolutely right. When we were discussing about CAR-T therapies in one of our episodes, this is also what came up that perhaps in the future we'll have CRISPR-edited CAR-T cells and that will, which function in a similar way, and that would help possibly cure cancer. And even with sickle cell anemia and beta thalassemia, it's great that clinical trials have already started. So we're really excited to see how that plays out in the future and if these therapies become affordable and commonplace soon enough. So it's really an exciting time to be in. But when we talk about CRISPR, one of the things that is often not spoken about is that it's still a tool, it's still a technology. So obviously there are challenges in getting there. And you touched some of that when you spoke about delivery mechanisms. Is there anything else that you would say is one of the big challenges in CRISPR? I still think that the delivery issue is the main issue. Sort of a side issue that's related to the delivery issue is immunogenicity is something we're still sort of unclear about in the field. So of course, Cas9 and other Cas proteins are of bacterial origin, and some of them are from bacteria that humans have developed immunity to. And so there's sort of a lack of understanding as of now as to how big of a problem the immunogenicity is going to be. There's sort of two parts to that issue, you know, whether there's too many already circulating antibodies that would neutralize Cas9 in the bloodstream. And also there's T cells, immune cells that might already be poised to kill cells that are expressing Cas9, if that makes sense. And so because it would be a foreign protein. And so immunogenicity is an issue, but what I've learned about it is that if we could control how much Cas9 actually is in the cells and for how long, then we'll minimize the immunogenicity of it. So what I'm trying to say is that the longer that Cas9 is expressed in a cell, like with viral delivery, then the more immunogenic that 
that will be. And so that's sort of where we're trying to solve two issues at the same time, where we're trying to develop delivering the ribonuclear protein complex itself and hopefully being less immunogenic at the same time. I see. It's very interesting to think about how delivery systems are so important because most people, when they hear about CRISPR, are obviously worried about the off-target effects. And of course, there's a lot of work being done in that sphere. But then you have to think of the next step. If everything does work, how are you going to get it in animals? Just one question about your projects is that do you work on animal models or do you basically work on cell Right now, for the most part, we're working in human cell culture and then with primary cells, primary human cells. We have done some mouse work and we're starting more and more currently. All right. So you can basically then see if your delivery system is tissue specific as you expect it to function, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Great. We always end with a fun question. I have two for you. One is which is a very weird or quirky application of CRISPR that you may have heard? Quirky application? Hmm. Maybe I've been keeping my nose to the grindstone a little too much. <laughs> and I'm focusing all the, on the serious disease applications. I think maybe this is boring, but people using CRISPR just as an educational tool, right, is pretty neat because then you can turn on and off genes that have a fun phenotype or fun color change. And that, I mean, of course, we've all seen the pictures of fluorescently green animals and different yeah. things. I think, you know, that it's pretty quirky and pretty cute. And it also kind of gets the public's attention. Maybe that's not always a good thing. And <laughs> But at least as an educational tool for to teach people about science, I think it's pretty fun. Right, right. And I do think we need like good science communication, especially around CRISPR because of all this hype about it. So I guess that's interesting if you have like actual scientific models to explain how this tool works to people. Yeah. Cool. And then the second one would be, if you had all the funding in the world, what is your dream project? Oh, what a dream. Uh, well, my dream project is really to continue what I'm doing now, but with unlimited resources and unlimited help. You know, we have a small team and I would love if we times that team by 100 more biochemists and more resources. Because I think what's cool about what we're doing now is that there's not a lot of people working in the same space. And it's sort of in this space where it's maybe a little too risky for industry and a little too quirky and maybe a little too applied for a lot of academia. So I'm really excited if we could really see. RNP delivery of Cas9 research expand, that would be super exciting for me, like taking that all the way from, you know, all the kind of crazy experiments we're doing now all the way to trying it in a patient and curing a disease. That's definitely my dream. That is so great. So basically, if you find a genie, you'll be like, give me 100 more biochemists. <laughs> exactly. We need more RNA and protein biochemists that know how to also work with cells. That, that's the dream for us. Okay. <laughs> the great part is definitely that you are working on a project, which is perfect. So that's great to hear. I think this has been really informative and useful. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy this. So thank you so much, Dana. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com.
CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthica, produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.